0: First John chapter 2, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, verse 5, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in Him. Now i will stop on the first five, five verses. My little children, back in verse 1, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Before we get into this, sin is what's wrong with the world. Sin is what sends people to hell. And people say, well, wait a minute, that can't be right. we can't understand how right that is unless we see a righteous, holy God. Because of this sin, my Savior suffered horribly. As one writer rightly put it, writing to children, God hates sin so much, nails were driven through the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. God hates sin so much that He sent His Son to suffer the horrible penalty that sin is. And spouse, which is separation and death one who lived in fellowship with the Father in the glories of heaven from all eternity past pierced time came down with sin-soaked world saw the ugliness of it touched it yet not being defiled by it himself and yet in pure sinless perfection went to the cross and had the sins of the world heaped upon him and suffer the consequences of that. People say, if God is a God of love, how can He send people to hell? God sends nobody to hell. People choose to go there. God has done everything to keep people from going there. God is love. Because He desires you for Himself. I don't care who you are. Black, white, green, <laughs> I don't care what you've done. I have had people say to me, You don't know what I've done. You God doesn't, you know, you don't know what the kind of sinner I've been. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. I don't care who you are, you have done nothing bad enough that the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you from all sin. Because that's what's wrong in the world. That's why people will go to hell. Not because God has chose somebody to go to hell because he doesn't like your hair color, or you don't quite match up to what you think you ought to be. None of us match up to what, what we should be. Jesus Christ is God's perfection. Jesus Christ is God's measuring line. Thank God that we are in him, so that when Christ pleads to the Father, the Father sees us in Christ. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Now he is not talking about a continuation of sin. We will get that at first in in the third chapter and see what you know that we may know how we are. We may know that we're in Him. We may know that we have eternal life by what He writes. But here he's talking about individual sins that we may not sin. We know we're going to sin. Because back in verse 1, or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We still have a sinful nature within us. We still live in a, in a world that's soaked with sin. But now we have something different. Now the born-again one has the Spirit of God living right within him, and we have one that's pleading our case. You realize that? You have one that's constantly pleading your case. It's called an advocate. Or as we would say today, an attorney. <laughs> but our attorney has settled the legal issue. He settled the relationship issue. He settled the separation issue, and he settled the death issue. I have told you in in the previous chapter. He says, or in the previous discord that we've seen this one that is from the beginning. We've seen this one that is eternal. We've looked upon him. Our hands have handled him concerning the word of life, who is manifested. We have seen him. We've talked to him. Now we bear witness to you. So in other words, what we're pl- claiming to you, we have seen. This one who pierced time and became flesh. And now... I'm writing to you, and I'm saying, please, we beg of you not to sin. But if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Listen to this. When Satan brings some accusation against me, which we know he does, day and night, the Lord Jesus Christ points to his finished work for me on the cross and says, charge that to my account. Amen. Amen. Or if we look at this word advocate more closely, it's the word "comforter" that's found in John fourteen sixteen. An advocate is like an attorney. Again, it pleads for us. The Lord Jesus Christ, folks, died for our sins. And God, who is faithful and just to His Son and to the work of His completion for us on Calvary, forgives us completely on the basis of His Son's work. On the basis of His Son's work. How are you and I justified on the basis of His Son's completed work? That is the only way that God will accept anything regarding my justified account. So let me say that again. When Satan brings an accusation against you, the Lord Jesus Christ points to his finished work for you on the cross. And in fact, he says to him, charge that to my account. (laughs) See my hands, see my feet, it is I myself. I'm the one that came down to be a sacrifice for sin. And now, Christian, I am your advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, or the righteous one. He is our righteousness. He is our standing. You are completely justified in Him. He Himself, verse 2, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. He Himself is the propitiation. What does that mean? Jesus Christ paid the price for all of your sins by the sacrifice of Himself. All of it, past, present, and future. You are justified in the sight of God because of Christ, because of Him suffering and paying for your sins. That is the sacrifice that pleased the Father. This is the sacrifice that the Father has sent into the world to save you and I, and was His Son, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That sacrifice has been laid. That sacrifice died. That sacrifice rose again. And that sacrifice is in heaven for you. That's how we are justified. Period. Done. We are justified by the work of Christ on the cross. Period. If you and I were to die tonight and you are in Jesus Christ, you would be no more perfectly white as you were right now as if you went another 50 years in fruitful service to Him. The fruitful service comes out of a renewed heart. It comes out of a new life. The fruit that's born is because we're in the vine, but our justification happened once. And that was on the cross. I can't boast. I read this before a couple years ago, but I, I found it again in my notes. I had to put it in here. This is this is excellent. Regarding this whole world, about in chapter, or excuse me, verse two not only for us, but the whole world. Listen to what William MacDonald says. I think this was great. (laughs) He says, It is interesting that the superscription on the cross was written in Hebrew, the language of God's chosen people, and in Greek and Latin, the principal languages of the then-known world. It was thus proclaimed to all the world that Jesus Christ is the sufficient Savior for all men everywhere. And God displayed it. He even had a wicked man say, what I've written, I've written, when they asked him to take it down. You cannot erase God's work. God finished it. God did everything to keep men from going to a doomful perdition. Men choose to go there because they do not accept the fact that Christ made the way to God. No strings attached. You are not on probation. It's Christ or judgment. He Himself is that propitiation. That's what that word means. A pleasing sacrifice. The sacrifice that saves. The sacrifice and the only sacrifice that deals with sin completely. 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 I am not having the whore the hanging over my head that God might have dealt with my sins in the past, but I'm going to have to give an account the ones that I'm going to do tomorrow. God will deal with your sins tomorrow as a family issue. He will deal with it as your father. He will not deal with it as you going off to a crisis, eternity of doom. Because the sentence of his righteous judgment has been executed. He himself was the propitiation for our sins. We are justified. Wow. And not only for us, but but the whole world. Christ shed his blood that the world, that whoever would turn to God, who will, let him come and take the water of life freely, the Bible says. In fact, that's the last message of the Bible. People say, well, let me you know, you look at Genesis. Man started out happy and content in the garden, ended up in a coffin. But yet the Bible says that man was, was created in the image of God, he was content in the garden, and through the thread of redemption, the consummation of Jesus Christ on the cross as the satisfying sacrifice, man ends in the end of the completed word that whosoever will, let him come. Because that way has been opened. How then should we live, right? <laughs> wow. You know, before we go on uh, in this net in these verses that are that are, are coming up in these next uh, few chapters, too. You know, I love the Bible because God shows us how we can know that we're saved. God shows us how we know that we are in Him. There's no guesswork. You know, wow, man! You know, it's like that guy that I talked about. I, I told you about the Calvinist Carl. Remember, at the end of talking to him for a week, you know, he thought, he admitted, "I don't. I got to admit, I don't know whether I'm one of the elect." Because in Calvinism, you got to be one of the elect, or you are doomed. So, all the learning in the world, these, these fallacies, they leave you an unknowing, an unknowing. I don't know. I don't know. Remember, we talked about the word "no" in a positive sense occurs. Uh, about 30 to 37 times in 1 John. Can you believe that? The knowing. God wants you to know beyond a certain shadow of a doubt. He wants you to know that you are saved. He wants you to know that you're in Him. He wants you to know that He wants to be intimate with you. He wants you to know. Listen to some of these. The word love is found about 50 times in 1 John. 50 times in this letter alone. The word truth is found about 10 times. The word life is found around 15 times. And by the way, the word antichrist occurs about five times in John's epistle, which we, we read about the word antichrist, the first that we read in, in scriptures. And that is strictly as a warning to his, his beloved ones, you know? Which one of us have, has ever had kids that they go out in the world that we don't sometime or another end up giving them warnings? don't do this, don't do this, watch this, don't do that. Oh this guy wants to buy you a car. Do, do this, do that. You know you're constantly warning you're constantly admonishing them to be careful you know Is it no less than a God of love would, would, uh, would, would tell us people say, well if you you know the spirit of Antichrist is here. You know, paving the way for the ultimate Antichrist that will come at the, at the end of time. But he wants us to know that that watch out for that spirit and so forth. But I thought that was interesting. Love, truth, and life are found many times in this epistle. Look at verse three. By this we know. <laughs> By this we know that we know him. If you have a pencil and you take notes, underline some of these words. By this we know. You know, the famous one, let me just preface this study this morning, the famous one that I always that I love, and I hope we all know by heart, is 1 John 5.13. And this comes at the end of his epistle. And it simply says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may hope that you have eternal life. I love it. With, I always said because because the first time I ever said that, I mean... I looked at Barb, and man, she's like, "Uh uh-uh, I don't think so. And I love it, because many people believe that. Many people believe that this verse says, these things I've written you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may hope that you have eternal life. No, it's that you may know that you have eternal life. God is, He is so loving. You know, again, relationship. God wants to be worshipped through relationship. I would be a cruel father if any of my kids, I wanted them to hang. Do I really love them? Mom, I don't know. You know What do you think? Well, he seems to love me today, but tomorrow, why don't we share sure harsh on me? I want them to know that I love them. Amen. That's what God, in confidence, wants us to know. Not only our position, what Jesus Christ has done, who we are in him, but he wants us to know that he loves us, mm-hmm. that he's our father. And now we can stretch ourselves out on Him without worrying of being dumped or being left behind or what have you. So back in First John one three, this by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Well, it's commandments. Well, we know that that we're not binding on keeping the Ten Commandments. You know, those right now, for us as a Christian, are definitely an understanding of how to please our Father. But we also know that because we have the love of Christ, those commandments are not binding on us anymore. They were bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. Now when we look at the Ten Commandments, we see them as how we can please our loving Father. Commandments here, if we look in the vernacular of, of not only language, but the Bible itself, the New Testament, means basically the Word of God. We keep His saying. We keep His promises. We keep what He asks us to do. We keep that Word that He asks us to do. We know Him if we keep His commandments, if we do His Word. If, we're, if, if when we are... Our, our life consists of I want to walk with Christ, I want to please him, and I want to do what's in his word. We know that we know him. There are some people that profess Christ and they don't care about the word. <laughs> they really don't care. They go on living their life. Well, I'm not we're not here to judge. We're here talking about the individual Christian. I want to know. You know? Do I love his commandments? Do I love his word? Oh yeah. Do I want to keep his word? Oh, yeah. God says that, you know, this, son, by this, I want you to know that you know me. See, I'm not, God is dealing with me on an altogether different plane now. He is dealing with me in his son. He is dealing with me as a born one. He is dealing with me as a son, or or in some cases, you know, you ladies as a daughter. He is dealing with us on an intimate level now. I don't have to know that uh, that God loves me and that I know Him and so forth because God does some specific thing for me. See, now Elijah had to do that with 450 prophets of Baal because he had to physically see that there is a God in heaven, the one and true God. See? When the fire came down and, and consumed the sacrifice. Not so with us. I want his word. I love his words. therefore, I know him. And we know that's, that's, that's the, uh, the way that he wants us to know. Because look at verse 4. He who says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, he's a liar. And the truth is not in him. We know that in, easily in life. If anyone says that they love somebody, it's going to be evident by the way that they treat them. A wife or a husband that say that they love each other and yet treat each other shamefully, and have no disregard of each other, you have to really question it, wouldn't you? I would. Oh yeah, I know him. Sure. Are you saved? Sure. Sure. I say I'll go to church. But he doesn't do the things that say. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? So verse 3 says, I, I can know him. And I know I know him, because I keep his word. And I love his word. And the word is the most important thing to me, because I know in keeping my word, that's how I will keep my relationships together with him or excuse me, with other people and keep my fellowship with him unbroken. You know, people say, well, you know, uh, you can't tell me whether I love my wife or not. No, but you know what? Your wife can tell you. A wife can tell if her husband loves her by the way he treats her. Children, when they can look at a parent and say, my parent loves me because of the way that the parent treats them, and on and on and on. That's why Jesus said, if you're going to look for the true shepherd, look at me, because a hireling, he does not care for the sheep. When he sees the wolf coming, he flees and the sheep are scattered. You can't get away from the fact when you love somebody you are going to do what they say. You're going to be intimately involved with him. And right here, the test of knowing him is if we keep his word or not. And it's exciting because now I know that not only is he mine, but I am his. I'm keeping his word and things start really getting exciting. Look at verse 5. But Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. So wait, wait a minute, we see now, let's, let's, a lot of times the Scripture will interpret itself. Remember I said that the commandments usually mean His Word now, because we are not binding under the Ten Commandments, that was law, but now we're under grace. So we, we read in verses 3 and 4, His Commandments, His Commandments, and then we hear in verse 5, we talk about who keeps His Word. Truly the love of God is perfected in Him, but by this we know that we are in Him. There's that word know again. You know, we know that God loves us by different areas in the scriptures. One that comes to mind is Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his love while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love, and yet now God is saying that I can know that I know him because there are certain things in my life that I do. Look at verse 6. He who says he abides, that's when the word abide comes in in his epistle. Keep your eye on that one as well. He who says he abides in him also himself also to walk just as he walked. Walk as he walked. Wow. That is absolutely impossible without the indwelling Christ. We cannot live the Christian life without having Christ living his life through us. We see that in Galatians 2.20 and elsewhere. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in that living, abiding Christ who gave himself for me. You know, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. You know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? If that is a stinging thing to you today, then you need to get on your knees and repent because that is the basic thing. Why do you call me Lord? If you don't do the things that I say. Am I really your Lord? We know that he is our Lord. We know it because we keep his word. It's important to us. He is everything. Again, intimacy. Again, in verse 6, he says, He abides in Him, himself also to walk as he walks. Wow. That would cause a lot of people to question, it should cause a lot of people to question their spiritual uh, state, not their standing, because our standing in Christ is because of Him. We have a position in Him, but our state in Him from day to day. Are we abiding in Him? Let's go on. Look at verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word of God which you heard from the beginning, or the word which you heard from the beginning. This is not a new concept. In chapter 3, verse 11, he says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. We've been taught from the the beginning. God is love. You know, you, Israel, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But You know, it's all through the Word of God. We're, it's an old commandment. We are taught to love one another, you know, to love. God is love. It's something that's been from the beginning. But now, he's talking to us from a personal perspective, it, as in a family relationship. Remember Romans 5 5, where Paul says that. God shed His love abroad in our heart through the Holy Spirit. And now it's a personal issue. It's, it's, we've not only been taught, and we've seen God all through the years, all through the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years that God has loved, and yet now it goes to a, a personal uh, application. So again, in verse 7, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you. I'm not writing something new to you but an old commandment which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Or eight saying and again, a new commandment I write to you. See, is he, is he contradicting himself? No. What he is saying is there is a new relationship now. You always knew that God was a God of love. You always knew, the Jew always knew, that to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But now there's a new relationship now. Now it's a personal relationship. Now God abides in us. And we are taught to to walk in a way of love and obedience to Him. A new commandment I write to you. That thing is true in Him. That's a a wonderful understanding in all epistles. In Him. In Him. In Him. You can't get away from it. That's the difference between the the person that has not a relationship with with God through Christ and the person who does have a relationship through Christ. Paul writes in Colossians, just to get this understanding of in him. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head over all principality and power. In Him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him, through faith in the working of God. And you being dead in your trespasses of sin, and sin, the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made life together with Him. That's just in Colossians chapter 2. When I use that as an example, as we see through the New Testament, through this new relationship that we have always knew God was, was a God of love, but now it's a new relationship. Now we're doing the things that He said. We have the love of God poured out within our hearts. We're admonished to, to confess our sin immediately. We're, we're acknowledged to do these things so that we would have a personal, intimate relationship with the One that desires it more than you do. <laughs> and I desire it. I know about you, but I want that intimate relationship. But He desires it more than I can imagine. Remember, the Lord knows those that are His. Remember? He is mine, but I am His. I love my Lord Jesus. And it, and it fails to compare with the fact that he loves me. <laughs> he loves me. He loves you tremendously. So now he says in verse 8, he almost springs out, he says, Now I'm telling you a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him. Watch that phrase, in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true Light is already shining. I love when Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Who wants to walk in darkness? Who wants to walk in religious darkness? Who wants to be in darkness? Period. Jesus said, you don't have to be. I'm the light of the world. He who follows me. That's what it means to abide in Christ. We follow him. And we are in Him. We rest in Him. Verse 9 says, He who says He is in the light and hates His brothers in the darkness until now. It is so... It is so logical. He'll say in the next chapter, in chapter 3, verse 10, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. you want to see the difference? Let me tell you the difference right now. He doesn't say, well, the children of the devil have just a slightly different version of the Bible they read from. And all the children of the devil have slightly different. No, he says this. Whosoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. There is a distinction here now. You can't give what you don't have. You can't love the way God loves if you don't have the love of God in you. But now that we do through a personal relationship, we love God because He first loved us, and now we have a relationship with Him that is bringing over to other people's benefit. I love that verse 9. He who says He's in the light and hates His brother in darkness until now. I don't want hypocrisy. I don't want people saying, I have something, and they don't. God is not going to leave you in the dark. As to to the reality of him, because you know what, he's the judge, not me. I want to know that I know him, and there's tangible things. I know that I know him because I keep his word. You know, the devil will say, "Wow, you sinned again." You know, gee, if if if, if you were my disciple, you would be done with. I want to know that I know him. Verse 10. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. doesn't say that he won't stumble, but there is no cause for it. Love covers a multitude of sins. That is freeing. Love is freeing. And that's what Jesus came to do. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. It is freeing. Love, you know, I'll tell you. We have we have a plate on our uh, well, it used to be on our mantle on the, uh, in the in our living room. I don't quite know where it is now, but nonetheless, we have a few places, and we have First Corinthians thirteen on it. And once in a while, I look at that thing. Have you ever really taken a good look at First Corinthians thirteen? Seriously, wow. <laughs> If I don't have, you know, I can, you know, look at verse 3. If you're there, 1 Corinthians, I'll just, I'll just rip them off real quick, or lay them, lay them before you. He says in verse 2, I can have the prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I can have all faith, so that I could remove mountains. But if I, have love, I don't have love, I'm nothing. I can bestow all my gifts to the poor. I can give my body to be burned. And if I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does, no inju- does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Well, listen to this. Love bears all things. Believes all things hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Now let me tell you something. Can we do that apart from Christ? Absolutely not. We don't have a prayer. But when we allow the love of God to be shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, that starts becoming a reality. He lives his life through us. Remember our our Galatians 2.20. It's not I who live, but Christ lives in me. This is a new commandment now, folks. <laughs> you know, This is a new reality. This is a new relationship that we have. And that we know that we have eternal life. We know that we love God and He loves us. It's a new reality now. It's a relationship. Some of you, this is a, this is a brand new understanding of Christian life. And I hope it is. And to us that already know these things, I hope that just gives us that much more joy of realizing that it doesn't change. This was the same in the first century. This is the same now until Christ comes back. The Christian life has not changed. The mission of the church has not changed, nor the relationship that the church has to its Father, through its Lord Jesus Christ, has not changed. This is it. This is wonderful. That's how we can know authentic, biblical Christianity from this this onslaught of deception that's coming into the church today. Christ desires that intimate relationship. And when I enter in, I know my Lord and He knows me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong, they are weak, but He is strong. You know, some of these elementary things we need to understand, you know. Um, it's, uh, it's the abiding in Christ. Wow. Let me go on here. Verse 11, he says, But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Wow. The one who hates his brothers in darkness. Walks in darkness. He doesn't know where he's going. He's stumbling. The darkness blinds his eyes. The only person that can move hatred, true hatred, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hatred is horrible. Hatred will shackle you and bury you. And Jesus wants to free us through that relationship. And the only way we can be free is through him. I've known some Christians in, in the past that, that are so full of hate and bitterness and the way they talk and the way they act, you you wonder, do, who who do you claim to know? You know? Because if anybody had a case against me, it's God. Period. Period. You know, I mean, I I don't mean to be offensive, but you guys in that department don't even come close. I really don't care sometimes if people out there don't like me. I don't try to offend. But one of the things about when we become a Christian, we realize that God had everything against us. And he took all the reasons of being against us and heaped it on his son. He's the one that suffered for me. He's the one that took all my wrongs, that offended God, and heaped it upon him. And by him raising from the dead, God says, Now, let's put down our armament, and let's get down to business. Are you going to trust me? And are you going to believe that my son was the satisfying sacrifice Are you going to understand that my son suffered for you completely so that you can turn to me and I will give you new life? You will become my sons and daughters, and I will enter into a relationship with you. And because of grace, prideful men will reject that. Prideful men will say, no way. Uh Uh-uh. No, I'm going to get there on my own. Thank you. I don't need a handout from you or anybody else. I can die just fine on my own. I'll take my chances. After all, I lived with my parents for how many years, and, and they took their chances too. We we're all good people. I've seen too many examples to where people were Bible thumpers, and you know they preach one thing and live another. No thanks, so I'll try it my own. God never says, follow fallible men. God says, follow me. Look at me. But the one who hates and the one who doesn't stand, he's in the dark. He can't see. He's stumbling around. Verses 12 through 14 are an interesting dialogue. And rightly understood, we realize that God wants us to know that we are forgiven for his name's sake. Look at verse 12. I write to you, little children, I love that. <laughs> I write to you, little children. He I am my I am my father's child. Because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. For his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from. The beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. Verse 14, I have written to you, fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you. There's that word again. Keep that word abide in the forefront of your mind because that's what we're going to be looking at for the next two chapters. Abide, abide, abide. And you have overcome the wicked one. Fathers, young men, little children. Young, tender in the Lord more older, experienced in the Lord, young men that are vi- that have vitality for the Lord, young men, whether they are young and tender as fathers, they are young and tender as young men, they are all little children and beloved by the Father more than we can imagine because our sins were forgiven for His name's sake. Overcoming the world. What is that? How do we overcome the world? Well, we read John, 1 John 5, four. we we'll get into that in probably a few weeks. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It's our faith that has overcome everything. And our faith is in Jesus Christ, who overcame the world. He said something very interesting about Satan. He said, the prince of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Do you know that John 17 was part of that uh, part of that discord that that you know he was saying that night before he was betrayed, and he says, Father, they are no more of the world, even as I am no more of the world. I'm not of the world; they're not. That is how closely the Father associates you with with His Son. You are not of the world anymore, and we have a great. Uh, I, I do this every year. But this is one of the greatest descriptions I have of the world. We'll go on just a little bit. Overcome the world. He says, do not love the world, verse 15. And I don't want to go back. I'll get back to verses 12 through 14 a little bit. But he says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is, is not in him. I want to read a description of the world of C.I. Schofield. And some of you know this, and if if you don't, others know it because I I say this description at least a couple times a year. He summarizes the world in this. He says, in the sense of this present world system. The ethically bad sense of the word refers to the order, arrangement, under which Satan has organized the world of unbelieving mankind upon his cosmic principles of force, greed, selfishness, ambition, and pleasure. This world system is imposing and powerful with armies and fleets. It is often outwardly religious, scientific, cultured, and elegant, but it's seething with national and commercial rivalries and ambitions. It's upheld in any real crisis only by armed force, and is dominated by satanic principles. That is, that is, is what we were in, folks. Whether you want to take a category of it or not, love not the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Look at verse sixteen. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. We'll end today in verse 17. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Have you ever broken that down? Lust of the flesh is desires for sensual pleasures. No matter what they would be. The lust of the eyes refers to the covetousness or materialism. The pride of life refers to being proud about one's position in this world. It's a world that is devoid of God. They don't desire the lust of flesh. Doesn't desire to be brought under control of Christ. All they desire is to feed the flesh. That is basically humanism. Anton LaVey wrote in his in his uh, one of his writings. He was the, the he was a Satanist, typically saying that if that you have bodily appetites, it's your duty to feed them. It's humanism. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes covetousness the bible is constantly warning men don't covet your neighbor's house don't covet your neighbor's wife don't covet your neighbor's you know mule don't covet your neighbor's anything don't covet covet is desiring something that god has not given us it's desiring something that is not ours it is the base form of lust if you really want to look at it you lust for something and you cannot have Isn't that' what the bible says so you fight more the pride of life refers to, to being proud about who we are, being proud about, about accomplishing what you can do, being proud of all the toys that you have. The guy in Luke 12 was proud that he had all these nice buildings and, and, and all this crops, and he, he was proud even further from the fact that he even thought that I know how to deal with my problem. I'll build bigger ones. Build bigger barns and store my crops and then I'm so proud I'm going to kick back and I'm going to go, you know what, I've worked so hard, I'm just going to take my life at ease. With no thought of his eternal well-being. So you have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the Bible says it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. It's like that old song. When we have a true biblical relationship with Christ, it's the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. The more and more we are conformed to Him and walk with Him, the world just seems to peel off, you know? And sometimes God allows people to go a certain time in life before God causes them to come to their senses, or allows them to come to their senses, I should say. Uh, That's exactly, let me share something a little bit intimate with me. I I don't know if I've shared this before, but that's exactly what happened to my grandfather. My grandfather fit these categories. I mean, we all do, but I mean to a T to me. He was was a man who uh, accomplished great things. I'm very, very glad I had an opportunity to know him. He was an ambitious young man. He always accelerated in his studies in school. He was accepted madman-come-loud into Caltech, which at that time was a very prestigious learning institution. He went over. He got from Elsinore, California, on the West Coast. He got to, uh, to I believe it was New York, found a way on the Olympic team to get over to Paris, France, enter the 1924 Paris Olympics, won a silver medal, missed winning the gold by an inch, and got back and was the hero of the hometown, finished his studies at Caltech, earned himself an engineering degree. He was making a triple-digit figure in the 1960s, which was unheard of, and all this stuff. And he was a great guy to boot. But there was a problem. I look back now and I see he was incurably religious, like most of us are. Tried all the different things to satisfy what, what money and what the lust and the pride of life and everything else could not grab a hold of. You know, it just you just couldn't grab it. It was always out of your grasp, you know. 1984, after another serious stroke from his major ones years ago, landed him in the hospital. And we were talking to him, my sister and I. And, and, uh, and he asked what it is that had totally radically changed us and why we felt that we had the answer of life. And in the midst of being there, I really felt that the Lord had, had shared with me in Psalm 91, verse 15. He says, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, and I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him, and then I will show him my salvation. You see, he lived all this life, doing all the things in life that, that, that is not of the Father. And he, was, he always had that something that he couldn't grasp on. Now, what he couldn't grasp on was that relationship, that forgiveness of sins, and that relationship with the God he searched for in so many different ways, and the fulfillment was always in Christ, which you can never find through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. I know that there are some that are listening to me now that are still that are reaching. They're grabbing and there are some that are, that are Christians but haven't realized the fact that their life is in Christ. You've been forgiven for not your sake. The Bible says you've been forgiven for His name's sake. That now you've become the justified one because you now you have the just being the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We've been declared not guilty by the judge and now the judge has taken us into his chambers as his own think about that wow this world is passing away it's passing away and let me say this we'll talk about this more the bible uses the word eternal life not for the dead not for hell. That word eternal life is used exclusively for that quality of life with God. Life indeed. Those that are in hell might have an eternal conscience and, and their their life for eternity in torment, but they don't have the life of God. They don't have that quality of life that is God. You and I do. You and I have that quality of life that is God. God himself. And that's what we are to rejoice about, to look at, to abide in, to walk in, to do all things that please him. Because this world is passing away. I don't care how rich you are, how good looking you are, how good of a job you have. You can be that guy in the old beer commercial that, that he's just the debonair of life. And he says, friends, if you're thirsty, drink so-and-so. And And, and he's just the, the guy that has it all, right? He's got the women. He's got the mansions. He's got everything. The guy is the pinnacle of a human being. It is all passing away. There is no life. My life will never pass away. I have everything. You and I that are in Christ are rich beyond imagination. We have eternal life, that quality of life that is God, that will never, ever fade away or go away. My grandfather finally learned that uh, a little over a year before he died. God is so merciful. He was a proud man. God was long-suffering and waited and waited and waited. Some of us need to realize that what we've experienced in life, if you want to be honest with yourself, does not satisfy. (laughs) Does not satisfy. You know, you can be 20, and that might not sting you as much, but maybe you can be 55 or 60, and still, and look back. Does anything satisfy? Are you satisfied from something that you did 20 years ago? Does life really satisfy? Because God desires an intimate relationship with you, and the love of the world is keeping you from that. Your sins are keeping you from that. Therefore, he says, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake, back in verse 12. Jesus Christ, God the Son, God the Son became a man. In a body that His Father has prepared for Him, to walk this world on your and mine's behalf, He perfectly walked in front of His God. He perfectly kept all of... He was perfect without sin. He did everything that pleased the Father. He's our representative. And yet we have a problem. We are shackled in sin. We are dead in sin. We are laden with sin. The Bible says we are dead in sin. And that word dead in sin means we have no life of God in us. We are devoid of eternal life. That precious quality of life that is God Himself. And if that continues beyond the death of the body, we will end up in a place called hell. No chance to get out a a degraded, blackened life that will exist forever in stabbing torment of what could have been. But yet Jesus went to the cross after living that perfect life that you and I could not live. He went to the cross and he hung there. And He took upon the sin of the world upon Him, your and sin, your sin completely, all of it. And He paid the price. He was a propitiation for your sin, the satisfying sacrifice. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to receive that sacrifice? Are you going to receive that payment? Or are you going to say, bunk, I don't need that stuff. And you're going to you can push it away. And you say, I can do it on my own pal, the only way that you're going to enter heaven is by Jesus Christ. The only way that you will stand before your God without Him being your judge is Jesus Christ. If Christ has not, if you have not received that gift of eternal life, you will die in your sin. If you are not in Christ, you're going to die in your sin. And Father, I just pray that those that are listening would realize that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom we are chief. We are the reason why Christ came into the world. We are the reason why Christ hung on a cross. We are the reason why He cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because at that time the Father was judging Christ on the cross instead of you. He was judging Him for our sins. And He was raised from the dead. In the body they nailed Him on that piece of wood with proving that not only he is God, but that the payment has been made. And that all who would freely come to him and receive him as their Savior, the Lord, that they would be completely justified. And Lord, I thank you for the word this morning. Thank you for the time that we have here this morning. And I just pray that you would be glorified through not only your word, but through the changed lives and the way that we walk and the way that we treat, not only each other, but the word of God, the way we treat the word of God, that we walk with you unto all pleasing. And Father, I just thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.